as we think about how great you are, the one who exists eternally as three in one, the Trinity Father, and how that escapes us sometimes, how amazing you are. And Lord, you told us about this good gift you've given us, this Holy Spirit, your, your spirit that indwells us, Father. And as your people have gathered in this place this morning, they've each brought the spirit with them into this place. And I pray that you fill us right now. That you overflow from us and you speak to us. Our challenge last week was to pray this simple prayer. Father, give us ears to hear the Spirit. Help us recognize Him in our lives as you come today to speak to us. And and I pray that each person will have that attentive heart, that attentive ear to hear what you're saying to them as we expose ourselves to your word in these times. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I want to start off by reading a scripture today. This is the one that we talked about in John chapter 16. Again, Jesus is there with his disciples. He's preparing them for his eventual departure. And he starts teaching them about the Holy Spirit. This is the verse that I find to be one of the most amazing in my study of the of the Holy Spirit. And it's John 16 verse 7. It starts off with Jesus asserting that I tell you the truth. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. A true statement from Jesus himself to the disciples about the advantage we have in the Holy Spirit. That, that it was good. And every time I read it, I just I picture myself as one of the disciples when Jesus is sitting there said, it's a good thing for me to go away. And I'm just sure my first reaction would have been like, no, it's not. What are you talking about? Where are you going? Why are you going? Stay, please stay. Don't go away. That would be my heart's reaction, I think, in that moment after spending three years kind of following Jesus. You know, I dedicated myself to you. I left everything for you. If I was John, you know, I left dad sitting there mending the nets to to come with you. And now you're leaving me? What are you talking about? And then you're going to try to convince me that it's to my advantage that you go away. But this is a true statement that Jesus is making. And so starting last week, we started looking at one more basic faith of Christianity or of the Jesus follower. These these things that we believe in as foundational for for our faith and our practice. And that was the basic faith, the Holy Spirit. Last week, we covered point one. And then that was that the spirit did not just arrive on the day of Pentecost. That, that he's not the new kid on the block. That the Spirit is eternal, just like Jesus, just like the Father, that he's always been there. And then we took time to trace and look at what he did in the Old Testament, starting at the beginning, at creation, and, and throughout the Old Testament. Then we looked at what he did in the New Testament, especially in the life of Jesus, prior to Pentecost. And then we started looking at how, after Pentecost, the Spirit continued to do many of the same things he did prior to that. So the, etern- the, the Spirit is eternal. He's not just something new. I want to read you from our statement of faith at First Baptist Church. This is our second point of our statement of faith, and it's called God. It says, we believe the Scriptures teach that there is one God, the maker and supreme ruler of heaven and earth, who exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit, equal in every divine perfection. And that's what I want to talk about today. Is as we look at the Spirit today, I want us to point two of our study or our thinking on the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit is a person. That the Spirit is a person. It says we believe God exists as this Trinity in three persons, Father, Son, and the Spirit. The Spirit being one of the people. I think I have a slide for the Trinity this is kind of a classic representation of how we try to understand this incomprehensible thing called the Trinity. That, that God is, is formed of these three persons, the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And if you can read it right in the middle, the connecting the, those titles of the persons to the God there is. So the, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. And, and we often work, when we talk about the Trinity, we, we generally work on holding these three together. Three in one, three in one. And, and, and much of our focus is, is trying to uh, make sure under people understand we're a monotheistic uh, belief system. It means we believe there is one God. And so we are constantly working on holding these three together. They are all God. And in that sense, because of that, in, in a sense, they're inter- interchangeable. So when you talk about the Spirit, you're talking about Jesus. You're talking about Jesus. You're talking about the Father because they're all God. And we can say Jesus is God. We can say the Spirit is God. We can say the Father is God. They're interchangeable in that sense. But as I said, we typically try to hold those three together, at least in our thinking. But what I want to do today is focus on that outside band, the circle that goes around the triangle, because little words in there is not. The Spirit is not the Father, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit. That we recognize there's a uniqueness in the persons of the Trinity. That each one of those persons has its own unique characteristics or its own unique character, its own duties or its own attributes that it uses and and we understand that or that's what we hold. So we're going to focus on the at least the uniqueness of the spirit. Now, I think we call them persons in the recognition that is, is how we relate to the different persons of the Holy Spirit or the, of the Trinity that we start to realize the nuances of who they are. Like when we start thinking about the father or try to relate to the father, we realize it's the father who has kind of the big picture. It's he has the the master plan. And it was at his order that that creation started. Uh, It is the father who we want to honor, who we want to bring glory to. It's also the father who we have some fear of God in that reverence of God, and especially because he's a just father. We know that we just prayed about his wrath, that it's the father who has that. And so when we start thinking about justice and the big picture, we're, we're kind of relating to the father and, and we want to be his children. So we're putting ourselves under him and that's how we relate to him. When we relate to the son, Jesus, he's kind of our big brother. You know, he's, he, he understands the father better than we do. He's there to help us and guide us and, and kind of be an example for us. And, and he's been a really good big brother because, because he understands the wrath of the father better than we do since he realized he, since he willingly took our place and received that wrath on him so that his younger siblings could be spared. 
And so we relate to him as this one who who's our example and who's interceded for us, this big brother who's there to protect us and and look out for us and, and teach us and and give us that example. Then there's the spirit. And 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 like I said, for much of my life, the spirit is not something I concentrated an awful lot on. And and I realized the person of the spirit is just as important as the person of the father or the person of the son. And so I needed to dedicate myself. I know he's called the helper. And I've often kind of thought about that. But but today what I want to do is look at the the person of the spirit and think about how it is we relate to him. We're going to kind of just break that one out or at least concentrate on that. The person of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about five facets to the person of the Holy Spirit. Number one, the spirit is a he and not an it. The spirit is a he and not an it. How many of you have ever like. You know, when that lady gets pregnant and you find out, you know, and there goes that time before you know the sex of the child, right? You don't, you don't know what gender and you kind of go, what's, and it just sounds strange to go, what's it going to be? And you use the it because you don't know, kind of, but it still sounds strange because you know it's a person, right? And persons have pronouns, he's and she's. And because the spirit is a person, we should Refer to him with what I think is called the personal pronoun, right? He. That's how he is used. It's interesting. And what I want to point out, for, for much of my life growing up, uh, we generally or would, uh, would often, and maybe sometimes half and half, not refer to the Spirit as the Spirit. We used another name. He was called the Holy Ghost. Right. Holy Ghost. Here's a picture of a ghost in case you want to know what they look like. <laughs> Ghosts. Now, I'm not saying they're real. I'm just talking about how they're commonly thought of, right? Ghosts are commonly thought of as something less than a person, right? A ghost is not a person. It's something less than a person. It, it's the leftovers of a person, Some might call it the echo of a person, but it's not a person. It's just something less than that. And when we refer to the Holy Ghost, you know, which most of us tell ghost stories to scare us, maybe that's why we've been scared of him because we don't know what he's going to do. And and somehow does that make him less than what he is? No, no, he is a person. He's co-eternal with God and he's not just the echo of God, but he is the person of God himself. And we need to embrace the, the person that he is. Now, let me take time to make a little side note here. And this goes back to another basic faith we talked about. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the basic faith of the Bible. We believed in inerrancy, right? And in inspiration that the Bible's correct. Now, now, throughout the scriptures, the Bible makes it clear God presents himself as a he. He uses the personal pronoun. He teaches Call me father, right? And son. He uses male, uh, male words and, and, uh, to present himself to people. So why not she? I mean, we know that God's not really 
has a body like we do. He doesn't have a, a gender just like we do, but he presents himself that way. And that's where we come off in the Bible. Uh, uh, maybe a, a cute story. One summer while I was attending college, I worked in a YMCA camp. And Sunday was the day when people dropped off kids and picked, you know, or picked up kids and dropped off kids. And some kids would stay multiple weeks, you know, and so they would be there. And everybody's kind of running around as you got rid of the new, the kids that were going home and welcomed the new kids were getting there and take their stuff down to the cabin. It was kind of a day of chaos. Well, on this particular Sunday, I needed to go to the, the, uh, cafeteria and in our cafeteria we had this great big fireplace big you know stone fireplace big giant oak mantle across the top of it and above that was this plaque um, for the the prayer that we would recite before our meals uh each day and uh, and it started off our father well on this particular sunday I, i went in to grab something i don't even know what it was and i found this mother had crawled herself up on top of the mantle uh sprawled out up there with a crayon and she's marking through father and writing mother, our mother who is in, you know, heaven. And let me just give you my answer to that. And it's based on my belief in the Bible, the inspiration and inerrancy of the scriptures. The Bible, through the Bible, God presents himself as a he. Now, some will say that's just a reflection of the period of when the Bible was written. It was written in much of a patriarchal kind of society and so the writing of the bible just reflects that and maybe that's true my faith is god wrote the bible exactly when god wanted to write the bible he knew the culture that he was writing it in far better than any of us did he knew the time if he wanted to wait to a different time to to have this people be inspired to write the scriptures he could have waited and so I rely myself on the faith of the scriptures, the inspiration and the errancy of the scriptures. This is how God presented himself. That's how he wanted to be presented. And so it's those basic faiths that guide our practice. And, and that's what may be a good understanding of what I mean when I say these are basic faiths. This is a basic faith in the Bible. This is what the Bible says. We believe and react to that then. All right. So first facet of the person of the spirit is he's a he, that he is a real person. The second goes along with the idea of being person. The spirit is personal. If you know a person, then you can get personal with another person. You can get to know them. There was a great event in my life somewhere in the early 70s. My life changed for the better. When the movie Star Wars came out. Right? May the force be with you. Everything changed in my life for the better, I must say, except for in the area of the Holy Spirit. Because I think with this advent, with with this little phrase, may the force be with you, we lost some of the personal nature of God. That God, that the spirit started to be thought of more as the, the cosmic force than a personal person to deal with. You know, in, in the, in the Star Wars movie, the, the force is just this energy that connects all things together. Kind of like the circulatory system in our body, you know, with all its veins and arteries, arteries and capillaries connecting each part, you know, and, and, and it just kind of 
brings all humanity together. And then there are certain people who, who can sense it better than the others. They have midi-chlorians in them and they can understand the, what the force is up to or feel the force's presence. The problem with the, with the spirit being a force makes it cold, makes it unpersonal. It's just a system that exists and it doesn't have a person or a personality and you can't actually connect with it. And so it makes the spirit cold, distant, non-personal, and even lifeless. But think about how the spirit is described. The spirit, one of the words used for the spirit in the Bible is the comforter. One who comforts you. One who who knows you and, and can care for you. That's a very personal kind of description. Imagine this. Picture a kid who just wrecked his bike, right? And he's scraped his knee and you know he's got a, a bloody knee and he, he runs to his mom and, and she gets a nice cold damp cloth and puts it on the knee now the the knee needed the comfort of the cloth it needed what the cold damp cloth could you know soothe the pain of its knee but did the comfort come from the cloth or did it come from the mom when he climbed up on her lap and she ministered that to him The comfort came from the relationship, from the care, from the person of the mom. And and that cold, wet cloth, no matter what good it did for the knee, wouldn't have meant half as much if there hadn't have been a person behind the comfort that it is. And the Spirit is the comforter. So when He meets our needs, when He guides us, it's not just the need that we need to have met. It's not just getting our needs met, but it's from someone who cares about us. Know this, that the Spirit knows you personally. The Spirit cares for you personally, just the way you need to be cared for. The Spirit guides you personally into what your world needs to be and what you need to know from the Spirit. The Spirit prays for you personally. The Spirit is, in truth, it is the Spirit. It is with the Spirit where we personally connect to God. He is a personal God. You've probably heard this phrase, you know, Christianity is more of a relationship than a religion. And that's true. But it is the spirit that makes it that relationship and not a religion. It is the connection with the spirit that turns Christianity from a religion into a relationship because he's personal. That brings us to our third point. The Spirit is how we personally connect to God. It is through the indwelling of the Spirit that we are connected to God. Now, I've heard this quite often in my life since I was a little kid. We would talk about people, you know, accepting Christ, about being converted, about getting saved. And it was often used and phrased like this. Will you invite Jesus into your heart? Anybody ever heard that statement? Invite Jesus into your heart, right? Well, the only thing that kind of comes close to that in the scriptures is in Revelation where it talks about, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I will come in and dine with you. That might be where that statement comes. But the, the rest of the Bible doesn't really talk about Jesus coming in your heart. In truth, it's not Jesus who comes into your heart. It's actually the Spirit. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your 
hearts crying, Abba, Father. That yes, God comes to us. And like I said, I know we can, we play that game at the beginning where they're all interchangeable. So if the Spirit's there, Jesus is there because they're the same. But, but the Bible's making it specific that it's the Spirit that comes into our hearts. It's the Spirit that indwells us and connects us to God. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. Again, it is Spirit coming into our hearts. That place Randy was reading about, right? It's like, it's where from inside the heart that comes your defilement. Well, that's where the Spirit comes in and starts kicking out all the defilement because He takes over that place in our heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 also says, again, do you not know you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And so when we are converted, when we give our life to Christ, when we decide to be a Jesus follower, something happens. Peter said this last week, be baptized, repent, be baptized, uh, all of you, and you will receive the Holy Spirit, that He comes and takes residence in our life. And so it is the Spirit that is the connection with God. And so if we want to know God better, if we want to connect God better, it's through the Spirit. That you're going to do that. You, you have to understand this is my, this is my avenue to a greater connection with God. That leads me to the fourth facet of what we're going to be talking about today. The Spirit, now that He knows us personally, now that we know Him as a person, we know Him personally, now we're connected with God, the Spirit has a will for us. It's interesting to see that the person, the Spirit, He is working in our lives and it is part of His will uh, as a reflection of God, what He wants to do in our life. This is from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 is about the various different gifts that the Spirit gives to people. And there's a, as we talked about last week, there's a whole array of gifts and He gifts people and He gives us all a gift for the common good. But and we often think about that from God, but it's just interesting to see how the Spirit is involved with our gifting. All these are empowered, given gifts, by one and the same Spirit. So it's the Spirit who empowers them, who gives them the gifts, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. It's the Spirit. Whatever gifting you have, the Spirit of God has chosen to give you that gift. The Spirit has empowered you to have that thing and use that thing for the common good. It is, the, it is part of the Spirit who's guiding you and working in you in your life. And it's amazing to think about the Spirit has a will for you. So each day we can get up and we can ask, dear Spirit, what is your will for me today? What is it that you've empowered me to do today? What is, what is it you want for me today? What have you gifted me with? How am I supposed to be used for God today? And it's the spirit that you're relating to. It's the spirit that you're talking to. He's there to guide you in the moment as you're connected with God. Here's a phrase that I think I want us to, to, to learn and remember. I'll, I'll probably start repeating it quite often. Because I believe it's true, and we're going to see a little bit more of this next week, too. Remember this. The Spirit will empower you to do God's will. 
But I don't think the spirit will overpower you to do God's will. Now, what I mean by that is when we abandon ourselves to God, when we abandon ourselves to the spirit, when we give ourselves to the spirit, the spirit's there to empower us to do far more than we ever imagined to do and to to overcome ourselves, to overcome our uh, our personalities that that he can change us to be and do and react like we normally wouldn't. But if we don't choose to partner with him, he's not going to take over and make us do it. And so there's a partnership, there's a connection with God, that this is a personal relationship, and the Spirit is there to empower us. But He's like, He's not going to take a stubborn child by the hand and make them do it. And so when we give ourselves, when we pray, when we talk to the Spirit, okay, Spirit, here I am, ready, willing, and able to do whatever you will empower me to, and I give up myself to you. This is how we get ourselves into God's will. This is how we perform God's duties in our lives and so forth. And so it's through the swill of the spirit force and that connection to God that this, this works. Just remember the spirit will empower you to do anything he wants you to do. He just won't overpower you to do it. The fifth facet, this is kind of a segue for next week. We're going to talk a little bit more about this, but, but this is important when it comes to, to relating to another person. To know that the Spirit reacts to us. The Spirit reacts to us. We'll talk a little bit more about what it means to grieve the Spirit, to quench the Spirit, to insult the Spirit. There's even people in the Bible who lie to the Spirit. Um, There are people in the Bible who resist the Spirit. And so what we see is that at times as humanity works with God, that the Spirit reacts differently to people. Uh, and, and so, and, and the point that I really want to get today is to realize that this reaction of the spirit makes it a real relationship. You have relationships with people and, and sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse, right? You, you are in a better frame and and the relationship's better or something. You, you, you say an unkind word or you lose your temper, right? That hurts the relationship because the person who you reacted wrongly to or the person who you hurt, they react to that. And so the spirit and our relationship with the spirit reacts much like a relationship. It is a real relationship. And so when we draw close, when we love him, when we talk to him, when we spend time with him, when we think about him, we, he reacts by coming closer right if we resist him or if we insult him or we grieve him or or we do things that hurt him then he withdraws from us and the or or we withdraw from him but the the relationship is a real relationship and, and we need to treat it as such we need to react within it as a relationship and i think if we approach it in this personal real relationship then we start to grow closer to god and understand him more And that's really the part of this reaction. We're going to talk a little bit more next week about what those specific reactions are and what causes them and and how to better uh, work on our relationship. But today we just want to see that this is a real relationship. So when we start to think about the person of the spirit, let's recap. The spirit is a he. The spirit is personal. So he's a person. He's a personal. We can have a real uh, relationship with him. The spirit is where we connect to God. The spirit has a will for us and we can submit to that will. And it's a real relationship. 
So I want to give just a couple of action steps today for you to, to practice this week as you think about and, and hopefully concentrate on the person of the Holy Spirit. Number one, I think it's a good place to start just to contemplate the reality that he indwells you. This is something you got to really sit down and think about sometime that the spirit is here wherever you're at whatever you're doing all times of the day that he, he doesn't just you know show up and punch a clock and show up from nine to five or you know that that he's on duty 24 7 that he's always there and, and to stop and think about life and, and contemplate the spirit is here with me you're going to face something this week uh, some of it's going to be good how do you react when it's good how how would the spirit have you react when things go your way some of it may not be so good uh, my morning didn't start off so well this morning i found out that i forgot to hook up my water softener uh, overflow like it was supposed to be and i flooded my entire basement <laughs> i was driving into church reminding myself okay the spirit's with me i'm going to be talking about the spirit how would he have me react to this you know, is this going to ruin my whole day or, or am I going to say, okay, we'll just vacuum up some water and keep going. Whatever your circumstance is, it's coming this week. You can almost count on it. And, and it's in those moments of reminding yourself the spirit is here to help me react rightly, to respond correctly, to have the right attitude. Um, I told you before, one of my favorite books is called The Practice of the Presence. It's from a 13th century monk called uh, Father Lawrence. And, 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 and Lawrence would spend his days trying to constantly, constantly remind himself, God is here, God is here, God is here. And, and he tried to train his mind to never forget the fact that God is present at everything he did he got to the place where he said even washing dishes in the in the in the monastery kitchen which was his duty became a moment of worship because he was washing dishes in the presence of god and, and so what i'd like to challenge us to do this week is do a week of practicing the presence see how many times this week how many times each day can you remind yourself god's here the Spirit's here. The Spirit's in me. He's with me. He's indwelling me. He's watching me. He cares about me. He knows me personally. He and, and all that it is, just to concentrate on that presence. It could change your entire week. The second step is, again, listen. Pay attention. Intentionally try to identify the Spirit's voice and action in your life. After we spend time concentrating on him, then pray that simple prayer. Give me ears to hear you. Give me eyes to see you. Let me come and understand who you are better. Now, some people are more attuned, I think, to the spirit or they practice this more. They're more aware of his voice in their life. They're a little bit better tuned in. And if you have those experiences, I'd encourage you to share them with someone. Talk about the spirit. This is what the spirit told me. This is this is what I experienced. I think that would be the step for those. But if you haven't, just work on listening. Let me hear your voice. Let me feel your prompting. Help me to know you better. That's a simple prayer, a, a real activity to listen for the voice and pay attention to see him around you. And number three, this might make him the most real. That in your times of prayer this week, maybe not even in times of prayer, 
just like when you're walking around, talk to the Spirit. Just, dear Holy Spirit, I know you're here with me right now. And have a conversation with you. Can you imagine if you, if you lived with someone and you never spoke to them? You know, you just kind of walked around through the house and you, you, you were all there in the house together, but you never actually had a conversation. And so I'd encourage you this week just to make the spirit real in your life by talking to him. If the Bible is true at all, he's there. He knows you personally. He cares about you personally. He will listen to you and you can listen to him that this is a real relationship. And so maybe just having a simple conversation this week will make it a little bit more real to you. For those of us who have ears, may we hear.